I'm going to quickly run through uh, some things for you. I know that uh, I've been told a number of times from you, and I'm sorry about this. I do apologize. Uh, I've tried my best, uh, and in doing that, working through my own flesh, trying my best by my own power, by my own might to slow down when I speak. But when I get excited about God's Word, it's, it's just an excuse that I have. But when I get excited about God's Word and teaching you, preaching to you, I, I tend to go a lot faster. So here's my uh, encouragement to you, or my, my, my thought to you. If I'm too fast for you, uh, we record these messages, and if you really want to hear them, all you have to do is listen to them online. It's very simple. It's very easy to access. You can push pause. You can go back. You can rewind. You can take as many notes as you want, and then maybe we'll be on the same page together. So that's my encouragement to you. Try and do that this morning or this week at some point. Uh, most of our messages are online from anybody that you've heard speak here. They're online. They're really easy to access, and so uh, so that's that. Uh, so with that being said, uh, last week we began studying together the book of Haggai. It's found in the Old Testament, just a few books away from Matthew, right in front of Matthew that you've been reading through as a church together. And so um, so I'm going to do a little bit of recapping from the book of Haggai. You're, you're welcome to turn there at this moment, um, but I, I won't really reference any particular verses uh, for us to read through. Instead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you to some other scripture but what I want to remind you of is this, that the Israelites had been exiled or were in captivity for quite some time. Uh, the Lord stirred in King Cyrus's heart and, uh, and stirred uh, kind of in his spirit to, to lead or allow the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple of the Lord. And so he set out a, a king's decree and said, hey, all you Israelites, all you people of Judah, go back to your homeland. I know that you've been exiled that you've been in captivity. And so with that, I want you to go back. And as you go back, your sole task is to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And so, so as you go, as you go back, set your mind to, towards that, that this is the, uh, the task that's before you, uh, that you're going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And then the Israelites got distracted by a number of things. They became, they began uh, to become preoccupied, like we talked about last week, with a number of things. Uh, one of those things was their own comfort. And so they began adding uh, extra comfort to the houses of comfort that they were already in. So they began saying things like, hey, we have comfortable homes, but let's add extra paneling to it to make it even more comfortable. So for about 16 years after being, uh, being able to return to their, to their home, uh, about 16 years they spent distracted, they spent being preoccupied, uh, not necessarily uh, doing the work of rebuilding the temple uh, that belongs to the Lord. And so the Lord used prophets like Haggai, like Zechariah, to, uh, to remind them, hey, this is what you've been sent back for, that you would rebuild the temple. Uh, one of the, the verses are, says this, that, hey, you've been, you've been looking and being preoccupied with the things of this world while my house, the Lord is saying, while my house remains uh, in ruins. Is this right for you to, to live this way? There were some arguing that happened, so to speak, or some conversation, some dialogue, some discussion about the timing. Well, maybe we should wait to, to, to rebuild the, the temple. Is it the right time? Is it the correct time? And I think uh, that the prophets uh, clearly state from God, yes, this is the time to begin rebuilding, rebuilding the temple. 
So I think it's necessary for us to understand why it was so important for the temple to be rebuilt. I mean, just so that you know this, there's there's still not a temple today. There's not a temple uh, directed by God to be rebuilt that's still remaining today to be uh, to be a model of uh, where God's presence is. In fact, we'll probably never see that. And this morning when we end the sermon time, uh, you'll see this through Scripture, that we may never see uh, this particular temple rebuilt uh, because there's, there's a different sort of plan. But in the, in the life in the Old Testament, in the, in the Old Covenant, the temple was a really, really important place. Uh, a really important place, maybe like your vacation home, or maybe like your own house, or maybe like some some believe like uh, the White House or the Capitol Building or the Roundhouse in Santa Fe or that lovely building in Austin, Texas that you've seen. I hope the Capitol Building there, the only one that matters. Uh, you you know, there's these important places in in the world. Some of us think that it's uh you know the the Lifeway headquarters in Nashville. I've been there, the old one. It's not that great. Uh the new one they say is is more phenomenal. I don't know. Okay? But but in the life of the old covenant and the life of the Israelites, the temple was really really important. And the only way that you can see the importance of it is to take all of this part of the Bible leading up to Haggai and condense it down into a few short statements. The, the reason why the temple was so important is because it brought a place for the people, particularly sinners, to be reconciled with God. They needed a place. They needed a place to go so that they could be reconciled with God. So you have to start back from the beginning. You have to look at when sin came into the world and separation between God and people happened. So you think back to the Garden of Eden. A simple statement, God's presence was there in the Garden of Eden. It almost represents the temple. It almost represents perfection. God's presence there in the Garden of Eden with his people. And then sin enters and separation happens. And so something has to happen for a reconciliation to happen so that so that the people can be reconciled with God. Those separated from God can be reconciled to God. And so God begins to work that story out. He begins to work that, that kind of narrative out or how we're going to get back in, in right relationship with the Father. The people created by God who allowed sin and rebellion to enter their life, separated them from God. Now reconciliation needs to happen. Where is that going to take place? And so we're seeing throughout the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, we're seeing God working in that. Hey, we want heaven on earth. We want paradise. We want things to be correct. I mean, you know this. I've already heard many of you this morning just broken over things that, that uh, lawmakers are happening, uh, making happen in our world today. Just broken over sin, broken over brokenness, broken over evil. And so with that, we're longing for perfection. We're longing for paradise. We actually have a longing for eternity or heaven in us. Like We have this longing to be with the one that is right. We want things to be correct. And so God begins to work this out, this reconciliation. He begins to work it out, showing himself in a variety of different ways. We see this in the beginning with the Garden of Eden, that it's peaceful, that it's glorious, that it's tranquil, that all the things that we want, that it's perfect, all those things that we want are happening there. And then sin enters and brokenness happens, and now there's this uh, separation between us and God. God, this holy God, who resides in a holy place, 
uh, sees his sinful people, his unholy people, and says, how can holiness and unholiness meet? Where can we go to meet? Let's create a place of holiness. Let's create a place that these two, the holy and the unholy, can meet and be reconciled between each other. And so he begins to show that on the mountain. Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God. And, and when he comes down from meeting with God, uh, people say, cover up your face. You've been in the presence of the Lord. We can't stand it. It's overwhelming to us. We're, we're afraid. We're fearful of what might happen to us. So cover up your, uh, cover up, cover up your face. Put a veil over your face so that we might not be uh, hurt by what's, what's, by what's happening on the mountain. So, so you have to see throughout the whole story of the Bible, Lots of words that are used over and over again, like reconciliation, like the veil that we just sang about. These things that you're seeing, these, uh, these moments throughout the Bible that are leading us to, to see how we can have right relationship with the Father. The problem with Moses meeting God on the mountain is it's not the final destination or the final resting place. It's not where God intended for his people to be forever. Like it's great that we're meeting at this place, but it's not the, the perfect scenario. There needs to be another scenario put, in, put into practice. And so God begins to say, let's, let's make my presence mobile, so to speak. Let me go and camp with the people as they're wandering through and as they're traveling through. Let me make my dwelling place among them. And so create for me a tabernacle. Create for me a mobile tent, a mobile a place of worship, a mobile sanctuary that I can be with the people. And that the people can see this tabernacle or this tent meeting. They can see where, hey, this is where we can go and meet or be with God, be in his presence, be reconciled to him so that we might have right relationship with him. And so as they begin seeing these things and as they're traveling through life, they say, this is the place that the Lord dwells. It is a holy place. And if we are unholy and try and enter into the holy place, we can only expect death. So we're fearful of that. So before we enter this holy place, let our sins be forgiven. Who wants to be the scapegoat? Who wants to stand up and be the sacrifice so that we can be holy and enter into the presence of the Lord? It's really important. And so they saw, they see the story from the beginning, God with his people in the garden. They see Moses on the mountain. And they say, maybe the presence of the Lord, maybe that's where it's always going to be. And the Lord says, no, no, no. The garden's a great place. It's paradise. We want to have this again at some point. The mountain is a good place. But also the tabernacle is a good place. And I'm going to let my presence be made known. What we, what we need to understand importantly, or most importantly maybe, is that it wasn't necessarily the place that was to be worshipped, or the tent, or the building, or uh, the garden that was to be worshipped. It was the presence of the Lord, the Lord himself in those places that made those places holy. When the Lord is there, that place will be holy. When the Lord is not there, we can just assume it's just a regular place. But if the Lord is there, it is a holy place. And so we can go into that place expecting that the Lord is there, that he is holy. It is a holy place. And with that, maybe we can have reconciliation with the Lord. 
Just like the holy ground that Moses was standing on. You remember this story when the burning bush is speaking to Moses? It's not necessarily, it's not even the burning bush that's speaking. It's God using this fire, this burning bush to speak to him. Hey, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Should we worship that ground? No, what made that place holy? The Lord's presence is what made that place holy. And so with that, the Lord tells his people, hey, I want you to build a temple. Somewhat of a permanent place for my presence. So that when you see the temple, you're reminded of my presence. When you see the temple, you're reminded of my holiness. When you see that, you're reminded of my power, my authority, my righteousness. You'll, you'll be reminded of who I am. Well, what happens? People begin to worship buildings. People begin to worship the place. People begin to worship mountains, the garden, the tent, whatever the case may be. We search even today for the Holy Grail. We're looking for these holy great things and thinking that if we have a hold of it, then we also will be holy. Well, God commands us. He he gives us instructions to go and build this temple. And God's presence rested there, so it seems, for about 400 years, 300 and something years. God's presence rests in the temple. And then it's destroyed. The temple is destroyed. Does the destruction of the temple mean that God's presence is destroyed? Does not having the temple built again mean that God's presence is no longer here? And so there's this desire in God's people. Like we, we long for his presence. We want him to be among us. I mean, we, we just sang it, Emmanuel, God with us. We want God to be here among us. How many of you have prayed that before in some type of church meeting? Lord, please let your presence be here among us. We desire so much. You see something on the news and you say, Lord Jesus, come back quickly. We want you to be here among us. And we tend to, as humans, begin trying to build things and put things together, thinking that if we build the right thing, then maybe the Lord will be here among us, similar to those who built the Tower of Babel. I mean, if we can just reach to the heavens and we'll be with God. We have to listen to God. What does he desire for us? Smith and Barry wrote this book um, about uh, the Old Testament really just pointing to, to Christ. And they say this, When the temple was finished... The three modus of God's presence, the garden, the mountain, and the tent, came together in this new structure. The temple was surrounded by garden, like decorum. It was built on Mount Zion, itself in Jerusalem, and the tabernacle tent was placed in the center of the temple building. So everything that the Israelites knew, the garden story, the Mount Sinai story, the, the tabernacle or tent story. All these things were, were wrapped up in the temple. And so it was a really, really important place. But they had forgot about the most important thing about that important place. The most important thing being the Lord's presence. And I wonder if we often today even experience similar things. That we get wrapped up in, this is why we say, minimize fleeting things and maximize the eternal king Because we don't want to focus upon things that have no eternal value. We want to focus on the eternal king. We want to focus on on his presence, on him being here among us. And so the rebuilding of the temple in Haggai is an important process. It's an important thing. It's a reminder to the people of God's presence in their lives. When the temple is rebuilt, they'll say, man, 
The Lord's presence here is among us. And maybe their minds and their hearts and their souls will be turned back to the Lord and they will repent. And they'll say, the Lord, His presence, it's what's most important. We were missing that. We were separated from it. And so we want that again. But now we stand with the temple broken. We stand without the temple. We're, we're, we're hundreds of years removed from the temple. So where is the Lord's presence today? Well, we get to look backwards. We get to look through the lens of the cross, through the lens of God's Son. And we get to see that God's presence rests in His Son. And so that's why we focus our attention completely upon Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. No longer in need of a temple because we have Jesus. No longer in need of going to a place because we can have Jesus here. No longer saying, let's go to the mountain like the Samaritan woman. No, you can meet Jesus at the well, whoever you are, wherever you are. Jesus is where God's presence rests now. And this is important. And this is why we, we say often, repent, turn your attention to Jesus, because he's it. D.A. Carson says this, that means that Jesus becomes the crucial temple. That is, the real, the ultimate meeting place between God and sinful people. So Jesus is now that meeting place. Where do we go to reconcile our relationship with the Father? We go to Jesus. Where is that place? Where can I meet him? Where do I go to meet Jesus? The trajectories of the Old Testament come together in Jesus. He is the ultimate priest. He is the ultimate sacrifice. His flesh is the veil. And his shattered body, broken body, is the shattered, broken temple that rises on the third day to become the real meeting place between God and sinful people. This is why we point people every day to Jesus. This is why we preach the gospel to ourselves every day to remind us we want to be in God's presence. We must go through Jesus. We want to see God. We must see Jesus. We want to hear from God. He speaks through Jesus. I mean, really, the, to sum up the book of Hebrews is to sum up the importance of the temple, the importance of the priest, the importance of all these things that conclude in Jesus, the importance of Jesus. I mean, think about this. The Son was a living, breathing temple. The Lord's address between heaven and earth was transitioning from Mount Zion to the heavenly Son who came to earth. Think about John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, where Jesus is cleansing the temple. They were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers were sitting in there. And Jesus, what does he do? He makes a whip out of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. You remember the story. It's the most awesome story. Every preacher that I've ever known wants to do that someday in their church. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. It's the, the house that belongs to God. His presence was supposedly residing there. And they made it a place of sin. They made it a, a marketplace. A place where they could worship themselves and the things of this world instead of worshiping God in His presence. And so the Jews, questioning Him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Why did you come in here and try and do these things? And Jesus answered them in verse 19 of chapter 2 of, of John, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Do you hear what He's saying? The authority that He speaks with, the power that He speaks with, 
This temple that you're now selling in, destroy it, and I will raise it up. I'll build it by myself in three days. And the Jews then said a very logical thing. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? What kind of crew, construction crew do you have? Verse 21 and 22 are really important of John chapter 2. But he, when he was speaking about the temple of his body, but when he was speaking about the temple of his body, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that, had, that Jesus had spoken. So when Jesus was in the grave, being the ultimate sacrifice, conquering sin and death, and he rose again, the disciples had an aha moment. One of them hit the other and said, do you remember when Jesus said he would raise the temple again? He was speaking about himself. He wasn't speaking about brick and mortar. He wasn't speaking about paneled homes or paneled walls. He wasn't speaking about rebuilding a temple in Jerusalem. He was speaking about himself. Everything that we find about Christ has been fulfilled through Christ. Everything we find about the, in the Old Testament has been fulfilled through Christ. It's crazy to think this. And so when we read scripture like Romans 8 that says no longer will we be separated from the, from the Father through Jesus, we can have confidence in that. Why? Because Jesus will never be destroyed. The temple and the things of this world will be, but Jesus will never be destroyed. I'm going to end this morning with this. You have to turn here. Revelation chapter 21. Some of you hear Revelation and are already scared, like myself, because I don't have a great understanding of it. But I think this verse is pretty clear. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. There's all this talk, John the seer, or the John who's writing this revelation down for us. He begins chapter 21 talking about the new heaven and the new earth, the things that we're longing for, about God's presence among his people. Then he begins talking about the new Jerusalem, that the Jews were almost, they were longing for it. They wanted Jerusalem to be built back again, a place that they could call their own, a place that they could say, this is the place. That we could tell the Samaritan woman, hey, you were wrong. And I know Jesus met you at the well, but he may have been wrong too. Like We're longing for this place. And then we get to verse 22 and it says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So all wrapped up in this. We talk about rebuilding the temple and the need for it because we want to see God's presence. And then we see at the end, there is no need for a temple because Jesus is the temple. And so we focus our attention upon how we're going to be in God's presence. We, we focus our attention through Jesus. We focus our attention that as the church, we belong to Christ, adopted to God to be in his presence because of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 13-22 really talk about this, that we together, brick by brick, are being built into the temple of God, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we together, us, we together, Christ working in us and us hidden in him are being built up 
to represent reconciliation with the Lord, being built up together to represent to represent God's presence in the world. We as the church have a huge task to fill, to fill, fulfill. You cannot do it on your own. I cannot do it on my own. Only Christ working through us for his kingdom, for his glory, that his presence may be known to the world as ministers of reconciliation, showing God's presence to all of Lovington or, or all of the reservation or all of New Mexico or all of the world. The church, we're the hope of the world because Christ is building us up into his temple, him being the, the, the whole satisfaction of that, being built up into his temple so that his presence may be known to the whole world. Let me pray for you. Lord, help us to see clearly some way this week not to focus in on things of this world, but instead focus our heart, our mind, our soul upon things out of this world. God, help us to focus in on that we are no longer separated from you, that, that though there's no temple to walk to and, and sing praises at, that it's not even needed anymore because we have Jesus. The hope of things to come in Christ, the worthy Lamb. God, as we, when we as individuals feel like we've lost touch with you, we no longer feel your presence. God, help us, urge us, stir in our spirit to turn to Christ. God, as we, when we as a church tend to maximize things of this world, God, convict us, stir in our hearts, stir in our spirit to maximize the eternal King. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.